Welcome to Mission Impact, the podcast for progressive nonprofit leaders who want to build a better world without becoming a martyr to the cause. I'm Carol Hamilton, your host and nonprofit consultant. On this podcast, we explore how to make your organization more effective and innovative. We dig into how to build organizational cultures where your work in the world is aligned with how you work together as staff, board members, and volunteers, all for the purpose of creating greater mission impact. My guests today are Shelley Sanner and Alana Tvietsky McKee of McKinley Advisors, an association management consulting firm. You can find their full bios in the show notes. Shelley, Alana, and I talk about a number of key trends that have been impacting associations recently. Some of these include the increased expectations that members have for customer service and customer experience, as well as the need for associations to really up their game in terms of personalizing the member experience. We also talked about the critical role that associations play in helping people with their careers to build networks, to find mentors, find their next job, and how it's been particularly challenging this past year to help foster those human connections with everything associations offer having to be virtual. Organizations have done a great job pivoting quickly to virtual events and conferences, yet most organizations haven't quite figured out how to help people effectively do networking in these virtual events. They tend to be good at delivering information and not so great yet about helping people connect. I recently had the opportunity to play with a new tool trying to address this very issue. It's called WonderMe, and we'll put a link in the show notes to the tool. It's a platform designed to making connecting, chatting, and networking during online events much easier. Well, welcome Shelly, Alana to the podcast. Great to have you on today. Thanks Great for to having us. Here. And I'd just like to start out, and for each of you, just to ask, what drew you to the work that you do? What what motivates you, and what would you say is your why? Shelly, why don't you go first? I'm thinking of my colleague who's waiting for a CAE exam results right now, um, so that's probably top of mind, but the CAE was really a pivotal moment for me. I passed the exam, and I was in a large association, a higher ed association, and I realized that I knew a lot more after having taken the exam than I did before. And I wanted to become more of a generalist. And in a large association, sometimes it's hard to grow and and move up and have more oversight over areas. And actually a friend and colleague of mine through ASAE reached out and said, I think you might be interested in, in my company. And it was McKinley. And that brought me to McKinley 13 years ago. Can you just tell people what a CAE is and ASAE? Sure. ASAE is an association for association professionals. So anyone working in an association at any level could join. And the CAE is Certified Association Executive. And it means that you've made a commitment to stay in the field. Technically, it means that you have aspirations to one day lead uh, an association, but a lot who pass the exam or take the exam go on to um, industry roles to or consulting like I did. And how about for you, Alana? Yeah, I took, um, I took a fortuitous path to get to McKinley. I started my career as a clinical social worker. So working with students in schools and ran into so many systemic policy issues that uh, at a certain point I decided I needed to make change at a higher level. So I went into an association 
and worked on mental health policy. Eventually, I heard about McKinley and really saw it as an opportunity to affect change in the world at an even higher level than I was doing um, at my job at the association. I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer that associations make the world go round. They impact every industry and profession that we have. And uh, I see my role as, as supporting associations do their best work. Um, so I, I'm really driven by uh, my opportunity to um, better every profession or, or industry that I touch through that association. Yeah, and so often I feel like I have to explain to people what associations are, often mm-hmm. starting like, well, well, what's the field that you're in? And, and then so it, are you a member of an organization that brings everybody in your field together? Okay, well, that means you're, you're part of an association. And as soon as one were to fall apart, someone else would, would say, shouldn't we all be working together towards common goals? And, and they'd recreate it. So what, what would you say, since you've got that kind of higher level view of working with lots of different clients in the association space, what would you say are some of the key trends that you've been noticing over the last couple of years as you've been working with clients? Sure. So one is this a real focus from the member standpoint on customer service and customer experience. I mean, I think this is a trend that we're seeing outside of the association space, but just generally in how we like to operate with the organizations and businesses that we buy from or um, the restaurants we go to, right? I think Amazon has really created an incredible standard in terms of the customer experience. It is so easy to buy something from Amazon. And our expectations as a customer or stakeholder, um, we want our association to deliver that same experience and ensuring that our website, um, that the opportunity to engage in education, networking, that we're consistently delivering a really strong customer experience uh, with with, uh, best in class customer service is, is necessary. Um, so that's definitely one of the themes I'm noticing. Another would be that this previous uh, approach of a kind of one size fits all really doesn't work anymore. That we are, our associations are becoming more diverse in terms of the stakeholder groups that are encompassed within an association. And those groups have very unique needs and preferences that, that we have to address. And it's our responsibility to have a comprehensive understanding of the unique groups within our membership and deliver um, experiences that are meaningful and that support uh, those groups' needs to to the best of our ability. Shelly? How about you, Shelly? Do you have other observations? Got customer experience, kind of that customization and personalization. It's similar to that. It gets the heart of the value proposition. And I think it's really customized because it's something people have created for themselves. And um, I've been thinking recently about what I'm missing right now in my professional career and my professional development. And it's the fact that I used to go to -to face-to-face meetings and organically or intentionally run into a lot of people I knew. And that was, that's the same network that introduced me to McKinley and got me my job. It's the same network that has mentored me, has supported me, has taught me things, has really 
up the game in some cases. And I feel like this past year um, and hopefully on into the future, there's been this renewed focus on humanity, like that we are human beings and people have really struggled over the past year. There's been more transparency around those struggles and honesty around that. There's also the need to connect with others, which is such a basic need, but it's something we realize we took for granted. And I, I wonder how can associations take the model that they have in place and this incredible ability to convene people and through no direct action, connect people together, just provide a forum for people to meet each other. And what does it mean to young professionals who don't have that? They're not going to -to face-to-face meetings and, and making connections with future employers or mentors or peers. Um, You know, what does that gap look like and how can an association really get at the heart of humanity and get to the heart of the emotional or psychological challenges and struggles that people have and really create a stronger emotional bond and build that loyalty and that engagement with the association. And I don't have an answer to that. It's actually something that just, it's been, you know, in the back of my head, but it really, it struck me recently that I think there's something there because the associations are well poised to to really leverage that and strengthen that sense of community. Yeah, and I think that as the, in terms of that humanization, let me say it correctly, humanization and kind of remembering having, um, being so limited now in terms of only being able to connect people with people remotely through screens, through virtual meetings, the things that are hard to do and yet easy to do in terms of delivering content and information and knowledge which has always been central to associations, has been able to continue in organizations uh, where I participated in virtual conferences this year. I think organizations did a great job of pivoting quickly to that. And yet all that hidden part, or maybe it wasn't, it wasn't visible because we, you know, we hadn't yet missed it. It was that thing that, you know, suddenly was gone of the face-to-face meeting of those kind of you know, the person that you meet at the co- at the cocktail hour or in line for coffee or all those kinds of things. And so in the virtual space, having to be much more intentional about how you help people create those connections. And I think it can be done. I think it just hasn't, I don't know that it hasn't been created. I'm sure that there's somebody who's doing a good job in that already, but new tools or new ways of convening need to be imagined so that that social aspect and that emotional aspect as you're talking about can really be addressed. And, and incorporated in a more intentional and explicit way, because I think actually that that desire to associate often comes from not wanting to feel alone in whatever struggles you're having in your profession. Yeah, and if I could give another example, because I realized there were kind of two things embedded in what I was saying. One is that we're all individuals and that humanization piece, and then the idea of like community and connecting. I remember doing a focus group. I mean, it was probably 10 years ago. It was for a healthcare association extremely high achieving medical professionals, doctors. And I remember in the focus group, a woman saying, you know, when this association first introduced a dedicated room for nursing mothers, my loyalty went up exponentially. And I knew I could continue to come to this meeting and it changed my whole sense of like 
how this association like understood and was accommodating and thinking about me. And, and I think about that now with parents trying to, to work and be successful and continue to advance in their careers with their kids at home struggling and, and trying to learn. And, and does the association acknowledge that formally to show, to show like we understand that this is a challenge and then try to create a community of support or try to help solve solve those challenges for a trade association. What's the future of the workplace? We're trying to figure that out at McKinley. Um, could a trade association help its uh, members really convene and, and figure that out and come up with a few models? So, so that's being able to really rapidly adapt, but paying attention and listening to what people really need as individuals or as a collective. And I think that goes to something that Alana said around the, you know, that customization that people expect and that personalization of really dialing into the kind of subsets of the membership. So the woman who talked about, you know, the organization having a, a nursing, you know, a room for nursing, um, she may not have reflected the majority of that association at that point, and yet it was it was meeting a need that she had, um, and so felt helped her feel more you know connected and and a sense of belonging. Shelley, you know your thoughts also crystallize another theme or um, that I've been seeing um, out not only in the association space but again generally the world, which is that younger generations are really focused on what companies or organizations are doing to better the world. Uh, Tom's is a great example of that, the shoe brand that donates a pair of shoes for everyone that's bought. For those who are Super Bowl fans, you've probably heard that Coke and Budweiser and several other organizations, um, actually no, Pepsi, Budweiser, several other organizations are not having commercials to promote their products this year. But for Budweiser, they are reallocating that money to support um, communications around the COVID-19 vaccine. And that is a clear way that they're taking a stand to say, hey, we hear you world, and we're gonna do our part to support our communities, to support the health of our communities and, and better the world. Associations are perfectly positioned to, to do that same work, whether it is you know, volunteer opportunities for members, or thinking about how their specific industry perhaps impacts the environment. Um, it will be increasingly important that associations consider how they can not just support their specific profession or industry, but their communities or country or world at large, because this is something that's increasingly important to their customer base and may you know, make or break the decision to engage as a member or customer. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you look at the the research around what motivates people, having a sense of a connection to purpose and, and mission is, is really key. And I think um, younger generations are just more willing to put that out front where folks in the past may not have felt like they kind of had the agency to, to say, no, I need that. Yeah. Shelly, perspectives on that? I agree with that. I was thinking about one of the other themes that uh, certainly it's all over the literature and people are talking about it quite a bit and it relates less to the mission of the organization or the or the brand or the position of the organization and something that's been fascinating to watch which is associations in this incubator over the past year because everything well the whole world was in an incubator the world changed 
so rapidly and radically. I mean, we all knew something was coming. At McKinley, of course, we said, like, there's going to be another downturn, you know, and, and economists were saying that also. But who would have ever thought it would have looked like it did and that it would have had so many prongs to it that fundamentally changed how we lived our lives every day. And we've been really fascinated by associations and their response to that. And associations are made up of people who lead or execute. And and this whole idea of, of creating an association that is something different from what it is today. So I think probably the majority of association professionals we might talk to would say, well, we should be more nimble and we should be more diversified. And I think that that is certainly a lesson learned. I think sometimes there are pitfalls of categorizing it or labeling it in that way, because we know that a lot of associations that were really diversified in their revenue portfolios actually struggled throughout COVID because those non-dues products were, were not successful. They didn't see the same numbers or they had to really reduce fees for them. And so there's seems to be the shift back to the core membership and how important that is as a concept, but also how important it is to have some dues revenue. Not 95% dependency on dues, but also not 95% dependency on a trade show and the sponsorships that come with the trade show and you know everything affiliated with that. Um, and then the idea of a nimble organization, we're definitely seeing that it's one thing to say, let's be more nimble. And how do you really create that environment and create the processes to support that? And in some cases, how do you create the mindset in the people who are leading it or the people who are working for that organization? And um, that's been fascinating to watch. And there are certainly resources out there that help create the discipline around it. And there are characteristics of CEOs or other leaders that translate into, into that type of a culture. But I think change management is a big piece of it. How do you actually move that organization in the direction more than just the systems you might put into place, but, but certainly the culture and the change management and then creating a structure that can ensure that the organization um, can continue to adapt in the future as it needs to. Because a lot of associations are just look very similar to what they did 20 years ago or 10 years ago. There's not a lot of impetus to change in the association sector. And I think there's also like structurally, there's a lot of things that actually kind of impede any kind of almost that nimbleness or, or being able to change rapidly. It's almost like the purpose of the Senate to slow everything down, like the distributed kind of democracy or the board, the relationship between the board and the, the, the leadership team and all those different stakeholders that you have to um, take into consideration just means that everything takes longer. And it, and it is something like a crisis that then enables organizations to rapidly move from one state to another where, you know, there were a lot of organizations that had been doing online learning for, you know, the last two decades, but it was always kind of a, a, maybe a minority of, of organizations, maybe a, a small portion of what they were doing, and then suddenly everybody had to figure out how to do it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, this idea of being nimble and agile is, uh, it's just so important considering the rapid pace of change going on in the world today and the volatility 
of our markets and, and industries. There, Shelley touched on some really critical points around that kind of culture piece and change management. And when we talk about that at McKinley, this idea of having a nimble culture, we're asking, you know, are we empowering our staff to execute their role? Do we have a culture of risk-taking and inquiry? Um, those are the kind of building blocks to create this culture of being able to execute your work and doing it efficiently and effectively. And governance is also a, you know, a huge part of this as well. Associations are very good at having bylaws that haven't been touched in years outside of having more and more kind of policies or regulations added to them. So it's a great opportunity to dust those off and see have we built systems that support rapid decision-making and change, or have we created a, a system that slows us down and prevents that agile, nimble execution? Yeah, I think the- I really appreciate what you're saying about, you know, it, it's easy to kind of name, we should be more nimble. We should, you know, be able to move and be innovative and all of those things, big kind of big catchwords, but really digging into what are the behaviors, what are the kind of mores within an organizational culture that actually supports that and or does the opposite, right? If it's, if it's not okay for anyone to make a mistake and admit it, you're not going to have a real risk-taking culture. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in order to be nimble and agile and stay effective, your organization also needs to have a solid strategic plan. So I think that the idea of having a strategic plan has become increasingly important as well. Um, knowing what your organization's goals are for the you know, next three years, let's say, and having a clear charge for staff, volunteer leaders, ensuring alignment from top to bottom. You know, for those organizations that don't have a strategic plan and are saying, well, I just don't know that this is the right time because of the volatility that's going on in the marketplace, the rapid pace of change. Well, strategic plans are also meant to be nimble and agile. They're not something that's set in stone and put on the shelf. They should be revisited quarterly or yearly to make sure that they're still um, appropriate given the, what's going on um, in the world around you. There's something that can be changed. But it's that guiding light that is going to unify the individual, the staff and, and volunteer leaders that work on your organization to ensure that we're all reaching that common goal. And for those organizations that, that do have an existing strategic plan um, that was perhaps created before uh, the COVID-19 pandemic hit, it's time to, to dust that off and take a look and, and make sure that it's still appropriate given what's going on in the world around you. Um, I've worked with a, a handful of organizations that needed to, to take a hard look. And in some cases, it meant new priorities and uh, letting go of others. For some, it was that the priorities didn't change, but how the association was going to achieve those priorities, that shifted the approach. And, but, but having that clear plan to guide the organization forward, I think is critical. Um, and then having the systems in place to execute your work in a nimble and agile way kind of rounds, rounds it out. Yeah, I think there's a temptation to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater with, well, it's everything's changing so fast right now, we can't possibly do planning. Um, but I see yeah, strategic planning as more kind of setting, setting some intention, setting some direction 
creating some parameters and it actually does help to what you were talking about before of empowering employees if they know what the whole organization is moving towards and they have clarity around that then they have more agency to be able to step into their role and really fully execute that's exactly right it's ironic but to be more nimble you really have to be more disciplined say more about that because i think most people wouldn't see those two coming together that um being able to have a level of nimbleness requires an upfront dialogue and investment of time and development of structure to guide that. Otherwise, the nimbleness could take you in a lot of different directions with people moving within their departments in, into different areas and interpreting things differently. So it's, it's like creating the glue that will bind everything together and then really putting it, putting it all together and having it and having it be more solid. And, and another way to look at this is the reskilling of professions and industries and that advocacy is always really important to associations. I mean, obviously the lobbying that happens, the presence on the Hill, the fly-ins that associations have where they bring their members together to meet with Congress is so critical because people feel marginalized in their roles or they feel like they are not getting their, their burdens and regulations or they're not, just, they're not being acknowledged in the way that they need to be. And I think about all the hiring that Amazon is doing and particularly in, in the shipping and delivery area, I mean, it's guaranteed that those people are going to be out of work within the next couple of years because Amazon is absolutely going to automate that. They're going to automate delivery. They're going to automate shipping and packing. And so what happens to those people who, during a crisis, struggled to find work and maybe found that field and, and entered that industry and now are gonna to have to reinvent themselves. It absolutely happened for meeting planner this year. So it happens within the association community, but then it's also happening within the industry in the field. And if an association is not tight in, term of, in terms of its own focus and its own approach to looking at the products and services it, it's offered, it's gonna really struggle to be able to lead the industry or the field forward as that profession changes. So there are two ways of, of looking at the importance of nimbleness and looking at, at the importance of being disciplined to get to a nimble place. Yeah, and I think going back to what you were saying before in terms of kind of being involved in workforce development and thinking about the field more broadly, you're serving the field, but then also, yeah, how are you part of um, essentially leading the field and being ready for, you know, things that are coming down the pike and um, you know, making those necessary changes. What would you say are some of the, you know, we've been talking about them, but other changes that the associations need to make to really adapt to these trends that we've been talking about this morning? I'd say one is um, really making a commitment to leveraging data to improve your organization's performance. And that's everything from, you know, collecting market research to understand the needs of your membership so that you can deliver that, um, that customized experience um, to collecting data to inform your strategic plan and uh, tracking your progress 
towards achieving your goals. So having those key performance indicators. So Shelly, ad ad adaptations that um, associations are having to make in, in light of these in light of these uh, trends. I definitely agree with data. I mean, we haven't talked about inclusion and diversity, but I mean, how could we not get through a conversation without mentioning it? And um, a lot of associations are struggling to capture that demographic information. Not everyone wants to, to share it, but I think there's so much to learn from this whole DEI movement because a lot that's happening around that, like, like um, it has to be more than just a statement or a pledge. It has to be action. Well, that's the case for anything that you promise to your membership or um, make a commitment to advance for them, um, capturing data and thinking about a baseline. If an association didn't capture data before COVID, it would probably be pretty disappointing because you couldn't go back and see how things changed or you can't necessarily see action and outcome and how those might be correlated because of something that you did. So I definitely agree that data is really important. Obviously, the mental health aspect of our current climate and how leaders can continue to rally um, volunteers, staff. I read an article recently about um, managers and leaders really trying to get into the thick of it with their staff and their teams, because it's not going to be enough to say, oh, you know, we're going to get through this. Like people realize this is very prolonged. And even when it gets better, it's not going to be better in the sense of what we knew before. So how to adapt the approach to communication and transparency and engagement of a team and, and um, motivating a team. I think that's going to need to change. And then I would just say an association really needs to look at its systems and its structure and its business model. So again, like so many organizations just get burnout or excited about the next new thing. And if you take some of these trends we're talking about, like becoming a nimble organization or really having an impact around DEI or the value proposition and being more member customer centric, like Alana was talking about, you can't just do that for a couple of months and then move on to a new trend. Those have to be really embedded within the organization. People need to know how to execute on that. There needs to be a spotlight on that and accountability around that so that the organization can really fully fully realize the impact of it. Anything you wanted to add, Alana? Yeah, Shelly, I, I couldn't agree more. Now is it a time to really invest in the organization um, to ensure that you're able to capitalize on these opportunities and, and thrive during this challenging time. So making sure that your staff have what they need to execute their role, that the systems are in place to support them, that they have a clear charge, that they have the resources they need. Governance is another really important area that I think often gets overlooked. Our volunteer leaders are critical to the success of our organization. And how much time have we invested in ensuring that they can do their best work? So do they have the orientation and training they need to understand their role and how they're going to support the organization? Do you have ongoing training to refine the skills necessary to execute their role? 
Do they have a clear charge? Um, and are they being held accountable for um, the work within their committee or the work of the board? Right? Now is a great time to invest in those foundational elements of our organization, because ultimately they are critical to the success of, uh, of our governance and of our staff and ensuring that we're able to execute on all of the work that we've, that we've just described. Yeah, and I think uh, being, you know, it's all about moving to more, um, being more intentional about those things, because especially as the the face-to-face, -face, uh, you know, gathering together where those things might have happened a little more informally, um, they they need to kind of be embedded and, and, and planned for um, without, you know, without being able to rely on that face-to-face -face informal mentoring that might happen or other training that might happen. I was gonna say, we don't necessarily need to include this, but I feel like I would really like to share it. That last night I was on a, an HOA virtual board meeting. Uh, and, you know, it's just people from my community, the few who are willing to give us some time. And I, I really flipped my perspective. And because the secretary probably talked for 90% of the agenda. And I thought, you know, this is so, relevant and familiar because we see it at McKinley with boards, you know, and we can, it's, it's really palpable when you go into a board meeting and you have individuals who are, have had a career of being highly involved in volunteer leadership roles, or they've been forced to really look with oversight across their own organizations just by nature of their role versus those that haven't had a lot of experience to that. And it's no judgment on those people. They're just not as familiar. And if you step into a board and there's a culture that's been set and you start talking about you know, the color of the tablecloths or where you're going to take the next annual meeting, you think that that's your role to play. And so what Alana said about board orientation, it's such a small thing, but it is like an essential thing to make sure that volunteer leaders know what they need to do and also that they're set up for success because you're not going to be successful without having more information and an understanding of, of where you need to focus. And I think so often organizations really focus on orienting people to the to the organization itself and the work, and they forget to orient board members to their role from a governance perspective. We'll be back after this quick break. Mission Impact is sponsored by Grace Social Sector Consulting. Grace Social Sector Consulting helps nonprofits and associations become more strategic and innovative for greater mission impact. Download free resources on strategic planning, program portfolio review, design thinking, and more at gracesocialsector.com slash resources. We're back on Mission Impact. So bring us to a close here. Normally at the end of each episode, I play a, a little bit of a game and just ask one uh, random icebreaker question. Since we mentioned Amazon at the top of the episode, I'll, I'll ask this question. What was the last product you returned? That's a great, that's a great question. Um, I'm pretty sure that the last item I returned was a mattress topper. I have a wonderful <laughs> mother-in-law. She is fantastic. She lives in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, we drove down for the holidays so that she could see her new grandson. But her guest bed is very uncomfortable. 
And so we purchased a mattress topper in advance. We were so excited with ourselves. We finally got ahead of it and, and ordered that mattress topper and we ordered the wrong size. <laughs> so we had to shove that back in the box and send it back to Amazon. And that's, uh, I, I, that's the last thing I can think of off the top of my head. Well, first of all, I wanna say that I just read an article about what happens to returns at major department stores or a place like Amazon. And it's actually alarming that a certain percentage of it just gets destroyed because it's not worth it for them to try to, to recirculate it. So that makes me think twice about returning things. But actually the last thing I tried to return and was not successful doing was this polish for, I have like an aged bronze front door. I had my sliding power wash this past summer. They didn't do a good job and they stripped some of the finish off of the front door handles and back door handles. So I bought this thing that had a great review online and it actually made the problem worse. No, no. So I just return it out of spite. And there was some kind of restriction around it and I couldn't actually return it. <laughs> yeah, that's often the challenge. Like they make it very challenging to do that, probably because of the reason that you're talking about of it. It doesn't it doesn't serve them for you to for you to uh, return the item. So for each of you, what's what are you excited about? What's uh, kind of coming up for you in your work? What's emerging? Well, I have roots in membership. So when I worked at an association, I was in the membership department. And before that, I worked with students on a college campus. And so I've always been really interested in that concept of serving. And at McKinley, well, over the past year, we've definitely developed more content and more resources. And I just can't help myself. I have to think from that membership perspective, you know, even though we're a consulting firm, how could we take more of the knowledge that we're gathering at McKinley and translate it into something that, you know, truly is public access. Anyone can benefit from it. And we also have it ourselves to archive because knowledge management is really hard in a consulting firm. Uh, it's, or at least it's been hard for us. People are out doing really good things and how to capture that and share it across the organization. It's something that we're very aware we're not good at and our staff tell us we're not good at it. So, um, so yeah, I would say that's the future, how to, how to develop more resources for, for the association community. You, you know, I'm really excited about the fact that McKinley's taken a lot of time over the past several months to take a look inside and figure out what can we do better to support our staff. We have, I mean, I'm biased, but we have a phenomenal staff. We really have some brilliant, passionate individuals who work for the firm. Um, and we've changed over time and recognized that our structure and some of our systems, uh, like I was talking about previously, just aren't allowing our staff to do the best work and um, and, and fully use uh, their, their potential. So we're doing a lot of internal work to better support our staff and, um, and highlight the, the incredible intellect that we have. So that really excites me. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes the people don't see that as particularly sexy and exciting, but it's so fundamental. And, uh, and then Shelly, what you were talking about in terms of 
you know, really kind of gar- garnering those insights across multiple projects to, to be able to see that next level of what's not just particular to one project that you're working with one client, but what are we seeing across multiple clients? So that's, that's exciting and something I think will be a really huge resource to the field. So thank you both. So thank, thanks a lot for coming on. It was great to talk to you. Thank you, Carol. Thanks so much. In our conversation, I was struck by Alana's comment about younger generations in the workforce putting much more emphasis on how the organizations they're employed by contribute to a better world. Daniel Pink in his book Drive describes the research on how being connected to a higher purpose and being able to see the impact of one's work is much more motivating to people, and not just younger generations, than incentives. People want to feel like they're part of something greater than themselves, especially something that is promoting positive change. I also appreciated Shelley's consideration of the question of how associations can help their members figure out and adapt to the new realities of the workplace. What are you thinking about in terms of your organization and these new realities? What is your organization planning for its post-pandemic iteration? Are you going to continue working remotely? Will you be creating some sort of hybrid? Or will everyone be heading back to the office or program location? What will you want to keep from this experience that's worked well? And what of the new skills that you've developed will you want to continue using as you think about your organization's next iteration? Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find the links and resources mentioned during the show in the show notes at missionimpactpodcast.com slash show notes. That's missionimpactpodcast, all one word, dot com slash show notes. We want to hear from you. Take a minute to give us some feedback or ask a question at missionimpactpodcast.com slash feedback. Thanks and see you next time.